The big question is this. How are real estate entrepreneurs like us, who spend money from our own pockets to build a brand, generate leads, and deliver value to our clients, how do we do all of that and still earn our next million dollars in income? If you want actionable strategies to get to your next million, keep listening. If you want it faster, go to kingstonlane.com forward slash million. Welcome to the Kingston Lane Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Kingston Lane Mastermind. Uh, my name is Sharon Trivatsa. I serve as your CEO of Kingston Lane. Today, I did something pretty interesting. What I did was, over the last week while I was traveling, I listened, I went back and listened to uh, 10 amazing you know, interviews that I'd done with uh, some amazing people and which you've all listened to. And I, I listened and I listened and I made a lot of notes. And then I picked up on the one favorite idea that I got from each person. And I wanted to take the 10 ideas and go through each of them with you so that instead of them being lost or instead of them being buried in these amazing interviews, I can bring them all to life for you. So uh, some of these are strategic. Some of these are tactical and I want to give them all to you today. So here's, here's the, the plan. The plan is I'm going to go through and go through each person. So let me actually fire through uh, our, our 10 guests that we did that I'm going to walk you through today. Uh, Chris Spiker, Jesse Rodriguez, Mark Metry, Dustin Oldfather, Craig Ballantyne, Todd Conklin, Noel Nielsen, Ryan McGinn, Jeff Fitzer, and our own Dean Aguilar. So those are my 10. So if it's cool with you, let's jump right in because I really like the ones that I picked up. And the best part is I actually took a few things away that I'm actually going to do in my life and my business as well. So I hope you enjoy too. So I promise this is going to be a action-packed one and a very tactical one. So uh, let's get right to it. So the first one, out of the 10 insights from the 10 experts is from my really good friend and advisor to Kingston Lane, Chris Spiker. For those of you who don't know Chris, Chris is a uh, one of the foremost thinkers and leaders and team leaders in the real estate industry. Chris actually runs one of the most powerful and productive teams uh, in the DC, Maryland marketplace. Not only does he run that, but he runs that team from Maui. Right, so after Chris uh, and his wife Peggy Lynn built that team, where they're going to do close to 350 transactions this year on the team, uh, their daughter got accepted to the Navy, and Chris and his wife last year Peggy Lynn moved to Maui, which they've always wanted to do. Now Chris runs the team from Hawaii, and. Uh, Peggy Lynn and Chris kicked off at building a new team on the islands using all, not only the Kingston Lane resources, but also his knowledge. So Chris is probably the only one that I know that runs two cross-country teams and it runs them really, really well. In my conversation with Chris, as many of you have heard, the one thing that he talked about was the concept of minimum standards. Minimum standards are really, really, really powerful. And I want to give you a very quick story and I'll tell you how Chris did this. So when, my first, my, when, I, when I first took over our old brokerage, Telus Properties, we were doing roughly closing a million dollars in sales volume per day. 
million dollars in sales volume per day. So roughly we were doing 300 million in sales volume per year. So we only had one office in Beverly Hills. We just started. And I was thinking, huh, if that was our standard, how could we up our standard? So I just told the team when I came on board, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to shoot. We're going to shoot to do 2 million a day, just 2 million a day. And this was instantly, right? I just picked a number. I just doubled the number. And if you think about it, suddenly the entire firm's ethos changed from doing a million a day to two million a day. And the days that we would hit the two, three million mark, everyone would start to get excited because I just changed the minimum standards. Now, the funny part is if you just change the minimum standards and actually tell your team what they are, suddenly you have elevated your game and you have a whole new set of minimum standards. I'll tell you what Chris said. Chris basically told his team that when a new agent comes on his team, he says, hey, you have a minimum standards. I'll pick a number. I can't remember uh, of eight deals, right? Eight deals a month. If you're not doing eight deals a month based on the lead gen that we're providing, based on the systems we're providing, we're doing everything. We're even setting up the appointment. You don't have to do anything. You just have an open calendar, do the open houses and go on the appointments. If you're not closing at least eight deals a month, there's something wrong and we need to find a way to either upgrade your skills or change your perspective on the business. Because if you don't hit the minimum standards, this is probably not the right fit for you. And it's amazing because as soon as, um, Chris set those minimum standards, everybody leveled up their game. Across the country, I see teams all the time that says, oh, just do better, be better, create better. But as soon as Chris set minimum standards on the team, the entire team elevated to those minimum standards. I'll give you one more thing. When we were running our brokerage, um, we we basically told everybody that we had minimum standards and the minimum standards were in our marketplace, the average sales price was roughly a little over a million dollars. So called 1.1 million. And I said, you got to at least sell, um, you got to at least sell 10 homes a year because if you're not doing at least 10 million a year in gross sales volume, assuming that you're going to take two months of the year off, then there's something wrong. And the funny part is I had people come into the firm and say, instantly elevate their game because they believe that what we were asking for was that minimum standard. I know it's a uh, very conceptual idea, but I will tell you this. If you don't have a minimum standard on the team, things completely change. The minimum standard could be anything from production. It could be anything from, hey, that as soon as we take on, a, as soon as we go to a listing appointment, the minimum standards, we send a recap in the first 24 hours. The minimum standard could be as soon as we do an open house, the minimum standard is that we do a report to the seller in, you know, before Monday morning at 10. Can you imagine walking to a listing appointment saying, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, most people do open houses just to do X, Y, Z, but not only do we do these open houses, not only do we follow up the same day on a Sunday, but we give you a report before 10 a.m. on Monday morning. Does that suit you, right? Minimum standards can be applied to any part of your business that completely transforms your business. Now, the funny part is this, you don't have to wait to establish minimum standards. You can just introduce them as minimum standards. But once you introduce the standards, something magical starts to happen. So I want to give you the gift of standards. Uh, our life is our life and our business is going to equate to the standards that we have set for ourselves. And a thank you to Chris Biker for teaching us the concept of minimum standards. All right. So let's go to number two. The second insight from our second expert is Jesse Rodriguez. So for those of you who don't know Jesse, 
Jesse was the uh, creator of the HGTV show Vintage Flip. Uh, Je- Jesse's been a uh, an agent. He's a broker. He owns Cal American Homes. He works with uh, REOs. He works with uh, asset-backed lenders. He actually is a, a hard money lender himself. And we talked uh, to Jesse about how you actually become a great investor. And I want to give you the very specific tactical tip that Jesse gave. Now, I believe that every single agent everywhere in North America should be doing this because of the MLS search feature. So Jesse talked about how he's picking up most of his investment properties on the MLS, on the MLS. And I always asked him, like, how did you find these, right? And here's what Jesse told me. He said, Sharon, every day in the morning, I come into the office and the first thing I do before I look at my email, before I look at my text messages, before I look at uh, all my docu-signs, before I check in with my team, before I even pour myself a cup of coffee, he says, I look at my saved MLS searches. And Jesse talked about how very tactically he's created searches with keywords, right? The keywords that you would assume are needed for um, a fix and flip property. So he actually created a search on the MLS that had keywords like, Flip, um, cute, uh, TLC, as we know, right? Um, investment, income, anything that you would use uh, to actually have, actually promote what would what would need some work and what would be the right keywords for a, for for a, for investment opportunity. He just set all of that those up into one search. And uh, that searches the property descriptions on that search. Like the, the, the average uh, property description does not have a TLC, right? The, the, the average property doesn't, does not have the word flip in it. The average property description does not have the word income in it. The average property uh, does not have word rent control in it. The average property, you know, does not have a, does not have the word, you know, cute in it, right? Like, but if you can do that or potential, you don't randomly write potential on, a, on one of those properties. So, so, uh, Jesse did a really good job of saying, hey, what are the words that we would use on, uh, uh, in our property descriptions that would create, that would create uh, it to be an investment opportunity? He created a saved search on the MLS property descriptions with that. And he said that is the first thing he looks at every single day, every single morning to make sure that actually lines up with what he's seeing. Everybody's trying to look for properties that are mispriced or uh, the pricing, pricing is not aligned completely. But uh, Jesse has told me that he gets more hits from just a saved MLS searches than anything else. So if, if I were you right now, I would go ahead and just make a saved MLS search of all those uh, investment specific words so that you can wake up in the morning and know right away that you have an investment opportunity that's hit your MLS saved search. So that's my second insight uh, uh, from experts, which is from Jesse Rodriguez, the founder of Vintage Flip, curate your saved MLS searches. All right. Let's go to number three. Here's my number three. And this is something that I am going to start doing that I have never done before. And I watched um, this guy actually take his following from f- close to 4,500 people on LinkedIn to over 35,000 people on LinkedIn in under 12 months. Say it again, 4,500 to 35,000 on LinkedIn in under 12 months. And this insight comes from Mark Metry. Mark Metry is the... Uh, host of the top 
top podcast, one of the top podcasts in the world, Humans 2.0. Um, I was very fortunate to get snuck into that podcast. You've got the biggest of names on that podcast who have, who have created amazing results. His show gets millions of downloads a month. And he didn't have a distribution system. So he started to over-index on LinkedIn. And he had 4,500 followers on LinkedIn. And what he said was it's the most underutilized platform from the perspective of daily video, daily video. So all that Mark is doing, he's actually taking a long form video, which is in land, uh, portrait mode, either after his run or uh, anywhere in a, in, in a setting where he can actually talk for two to three minutes. And he's doing standard long form video on LinkedIn. Even he doesn't care about his background. He doesn't care about the noise. He does. He's just doing a long form video on LinkedIn, and nobody's doing video on LinkedIn. Everybody's doing video on the video platforms of Facebook and Instagram. But he's telling me that he's getting insane engagement on LinkedIn, and uh, he said how he's forcing himself to do a daily video on LinkedIn. So if if for any reason you are uh, already doing video. Maybe you already have videos on your phone. You don't even have to shoot new ones anymore. Heck, go to Facebook and download your videos if they feel evergreen. Start to post them on LinkedIn and create some conversation around them. The best part about LinkedIn is you have, you're not dealing with a lot of crowded and noisy space. Uh, Mark talked about how to use daily video on LinkedIn to create insane, insane uh, engagement. So especially if you have property-based videos, especially if you have market updates, if you have anything business-related, hey, market slowdown, market update, how the market's doing, there's pocket listings, secret listings, there's trend-based stuff. Really, really powerful to do it on LinkedIn. So the funny part is if you're doing a video for uh, Facebook or Instagram anyway, go ahead and use that video on LinkedIn, but see if you can actually do a daily video on LinkedIn. I do a lot of daily videos and across all my platforms, I'm going to start doing that on LinkedIn. So an amazing way to juice your following on LinkedIn. I'll tell you this right now, what Facebook was five years ago. Can you imagine if you wanted to get into Facebook five years ago, that's what LinkedIn is today. That's what LinkedIn is today. Uh, if Instagram is what Facebook was three years ago. LinkedIn is what Facebook was five years ago. And you don't have the cleanest data, the cleanest data. You know exactly who viewed your stuff, how they viewed it, all of that. So um, Insta LinkedIn is really, really powerful. So Mark Metry, founder of uh, the podcast Humans 2.0, talked about the daily video on LinkedIn. So that's number three. All right, let's go to number four. My fourth insight comes from Dustin Oldfather. Dustin runs an amazing team on the Delaware, uh, on the beaches in Delaware, and also runs an amazing mortgage company. And we talked about how to start build a company from scratch and hiring. And we busted this myth on hire slow, fire fast. Like I will tell you right now, anybody that anybody that you know will say hire slow, fire fast either has too big a company or too small a company. And here's what I mean. If you have a really, really big company and someone is not a culture fit, you can, you can hire, take your time to hire and you can fire them really fast and it doesn't affect the bottom line of your organization much. Or if you're just a one person and you have a specific person on the team and they're not being the right fit, you can absorb their jobs right away. But for most of us that have medium-sized companies, hire, hire slow, fire fast is very challenging because you, like, what if you had to, what if you had to 
hire somebody right now. Well, you need that person right now. There's no hiring slow. You need that person right now. If you need a marketing person, the, the time that you think about needing a marketing person is already too late. You need that person right now, right now. So the hire slow, fire fast is like for people who, who have no, no idea what they're talking about. Because what if you wanted to fire your CFO? What if you wanted to fire your ops person? You can't fire that person tomorrow. Your, your business will fall apart right? Because you've built infrastructure that way. I'll say uh, the, the, the higher, uh, the, this is the way you think about it. Hire with good process and don't fire without a plan. Hire with good process and don't fire without, don't fire without a plan. I'll actually put in the show notes, my five favorite hiring questions that I like to ask. I use this in every single appointment and every single hiring. And it gives me a really good sense of who these people are and how they handle themselves. Because at the end of the day, you're looking for people with two things. I love, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people with two qualities. One, they have a very specific skill. Hey, they're very, if it, and it doesn't matter what skill, it would be nice if it was a skill related to the job, but they have a very, they have one very specific skill because I know that if someone has one very specific skill, maybe they're an athlete, maybe they're a musician, maybe they're really good at Instagram, maybe they're a really great copywriter, maybe they're really good at video. It doesn't matter what skill. To me, I want someone that has one very, very good skill. You know why? Because that teaches me that that person can actually spend the time and has the discipline to acquire that skill. And the second thing, I'm always looking for one thing and one thing alone. If they have the skill, I'm looking for curiosity. I'm looking for curiosity. We're not here hiring drones. If you want to hire a drone, you should hire a VA because a VA takes the job, takes your specifications and pumps out the work. If it's not, if, if it's, if it's not a specified job, if it's not a paint by numbers job, that's the only person you should have in house in house. People should be, should have something. They should have curiosity. They should have the ability to think outside the box and actually like solve problems. They shouldn't have to come to you for every single question, every single answer. When someone has curiosity, something amazing starts to happen. So I always split up my roles in this way. If I know that the job is based on input, do a bunch of steps, output. That's a VA. That's, that's, that's somebody, they like that kind of work. Give them the formula. They'll do it. They'll double check the result and they'll hand you the result. But if you want somebody to think, bring that person in house. If you want somebody to think, bring that person in house. And for that, if they have a skill or a capability and they, and you can create curiosity. And if they have curiosity, amazing things start to happen. I'll give you the one quick tip that um, Dustin and I talked about from the perspective of having employees that you want that are not the right culture fit that you want to get, I hate to say rid of, but that, that need to, that you invite them to work elsewhere. For most people, you're not going to be able to fire someone right away. And let me tell you, that's okay. That's okay. I say hire with good process and don't fire without a plan. But let's say you have someone in your organization call that person Jimmy and you know that Jimmy is not the right fit and you know that you're going to have to let Jimmy go. Instead of struggling with the process of letting Jimmy go, here's what you do. Fire Jimmy in your head right now. Fire Jimmy in your head right now. For all the CEOs and mentors, this is what I tell them. Fire Jimmy in your head right now. Let's just, you fired the Jimmy. Jimmy's done. You fired Jimmy in your head. Now it's just a question of when and what the plan is. Because then you start to separate yourself from the anxiety and the energy of why Jimmy's there. Jimmy's just there because you have not figured out the plan yet. That's all it is. Fire Jimmy in your head right now and then work the plan to figure out the replacement, figure out the transition, figure out the next steps. As soon as 
I have, I, I, you know, as soon as I fire people in my head, their energy, their lack of work ethic, their lack of culture fit, none of that bothers me anymore. It's now on me to build a plan to get them the transition out of there, right? And that's totally okay. The hire with good process, don't fire without a plan. And if they're, and if you're stuck, fire them in your head right now and then work the plan backwards. All right, let's go to number five. Number five was with my friend, Craig Ballantyne. Uh, some of them call him the most disciplined man in the world, um, New York Times bestselling author and uh, a productivity uh, guru. We had a really great conversation with Craig Ballantyne and we talked about the concept of 10 fewer hours. How can we actually extract 10 fewer hours and give it back to you in a given week. How can we give you back 10 fewer, 10 more hours in the week? And uh, Craig talked about these four questions. And I love these four questions because I've actually, like while he was talking about it, I wrote those down. Here are the four questions to figure out um, how you can extract and unlock and give yourself 10 more hours in the week. The first one is, what do you hate doing? What do you absolutely hate doing? Second one, what should you stop doing? Third one, what is not your job? And fourth one, what are your distractions? Let's actually break it down. What do you hate doing? Like, what do you hate doing? If, is there, do you hate doing accounting? Do you hate doing your, your books and finances? Do you hate writing copy? Do you, like, I'll tell you the one thing that I don't, that I wouldn't say hate, that I don't like doing. I, as many of you know, I send, uh, I send millions of emails per month. And so I write a lot of email content. I love writing because it gives me a chance to understand what I'm doing, how I'm writing. But what I hate, what I dislike doing is now I have to take that written content, put it into my email marketing software, get it the right formatted, get it in the right places, get it in the, in the right graphics, get the right links, get the right tags, uh, put it all in, test it, schedule it, find the right audiences and schedule them to go out. In fact, it actually takes me twice as long to set up the email to go out than to actually write the email. I just hate doing it. And the funny part is uh, some of that I have actually automated and actually delegated and some of that I haven't. I write all my content, but I hate doing, I hate putting it all together. So a big, a big, um, uh, you know, a, a way for me to unlock value and give myself more time back is to find somebody who can actually take all my written content and schedule them out for me, can build. There's somebody out there who doesn't like writing but has no problem scheduling all my content. So I will tell you for me, for someone like me, that will give me back five hours a week because I spend probably five hours a week sending, scheduling millions of emails to go out. And that's a long time. The question for you is what do you hate doing? The second one, what should you stop doing? I'll give you what, I, what I've been thinking about. What should I stop doing? I really, I don't know about you, but um, I, I'm very fortunate to get invited on a bunch of podcasts and I, my team actually filters them. I don't, I don't do any podcast anymore unless I've committed to it in some way. And I want to, I don't do small podcasts anymore. And the reason is the, the time to result is just not there for me. Like I, I can't, I just can't afford to do that from an effort to result perspective. So I made a commitment to myself saying, I'm not going to do small podcasts anymore. And I'm only, and I'm only going to have X amount of time blocked for me to do podcasts. So what I've done, just so you know, is I have a podcast schedule. And if somebody wants a podcast with me, I probably have 10 slots open for the rest of the year on my available podcast slots. It's very simple. So if, if I'm willing to do a podcast, and if they don't fit into one of those 10 slots, I do not change my schedule. Those are the 10 slots I have 
open for doing podcasts and I don't do it anymore. Otherwise, I constantly get into this front and back of trying to schedule something and now I feel bad and now my team has to get involved and they've got to try to, it's just too much. But that itself has given me anxiety uh, reduction and time back in my week. The third one, what is not your job? What is not your job? I will tell you one thing. For most entrepreneurs who have started from scratch, um, almost everything is not your job. And the reason why you consider it to be your job, please tune into me right now. The reason why you consider it to be your job is because you can do a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. Um, my team will tell me the number one uh, the number one person that is blocking, the number one person that is a uh, impediment, number one person that is actually affecting our efficiency and our productivity, you know who it is in the organization? It's me. And let me tell you why. That's because I know how to do a lot of things. I know how to do email automations. I know how to do, uh, how to build a funnel. I know how to write copy. I know, I, I'm a practitioner. I know how to do a lot of these things. And so I feel like it is my job to do a lot of it. Same way for you. You know how to do a buyer consultation. You know how to put a marketing flyer together. You know how to put a postcard together. You know how to put a Facebook ad together. You know how to create a Zapier integration. You know, like, you know a lot of those things. And if you don't know, you have the ability to know that you can figure it out. You know that you can go in and set up searches and actually figure out your idea site really well. You know you can do that, but that's not your job. That's not your job. And you know I'm right. Now, the question you may be asking is, well, whose job is it? Well, imagine this. What if it was not your job? What if, you were un, what if you were not allowed to work on that and you were only allowed to work on revenue generating activities? My team always tells me this. They say, Sean, your job is growth, culture, and innovation. They say those are the only three things you can do, growth, culture, and innovation. You can't do anything else. And the problem, what my team tells me and, and what my coaches tell me is the reason why I'm struggling is the same reason you're struggling. And that is because you know how to do a lot of things. So what is not your job? And the last one, my fourth question is, uh, what are your distractions? I'll tell you what my distractions are. I'll tell you what my distractions are. My distractions are these. Um, every time I feel like I need a break, right? I, I, I tend to say, ah, I'll just go get a cup of coffee. I'll just go go for a walk. I'll just you know check Instagram for a little bit. I'll just post a couple of stories. Like I use... I use the opportunities to get distracted and I've stopped doing that now. Here's what I do. I actually have an egg timer app on my computer. So if you're on a, if you're on a Mac, the app is called doc timer, doc timer. I think it's a dollar. And every time I sit down to do something, I set myself a timer and my timer is very specific. And the timer is I'm doing email for 20 minutes. I set my timer up for 20 minutes. I do email. As soon as my timer goes off, I know right away that I'm done and it keeps me totally, totally focused, right? The greatest thing, the greatest productivity hack that I've done for myself is to give myself a timer for everything. If I jump on a call, I set up a timer. If, I, if I'm starting on email, I set up a timer. If I'm working on a project, I set up a timer. I set up a timer for everything now. It keeps me very focused. And then it allows me to know that I have, I can see it count down and, I, and I'm extremely focused and I don't let any distractions bother me. The monotasking when a timer comes into play gives me a lot of time back. The reason I'm able to do a lot more than most people in my position can do without a big team, without a huge arsenal of resources is because I just stay extremely, extremely focused. So the app is called Doc Timer if you're on a Mac. All right. 
um, the, 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 there's, there's a couple of questions from all of you. Is it a Pomodoro? Do you set time for the task? Good question. Here's what I do. Um, Nicole, I, I do the, I do either a 20 minute timer or a 40 minute timer. If I 20 minute timer is generally when I have to process email, do operational stuff, 40 minute to a 50 minute timer is generally when I have to do some deep work. That's it. So it's either a generally a 20 minute timer or a 40 to 50 minute timer. Uh, I never, I, I don't go anything more than 50 minutes because it's really hard for me to stay focused for more than 50 minutes. And so it's either 20 minute timer for operations or a 40 to 50 minute time for deep work. And I just break up my entire day based on that. And 20 minutes, 10 minute break, 50 minutes, 10 minute break. And um, works, works really nicely because I know that on the break, uh, and by the way, on the break, I close my laptop. I just close my laptop because it's very easy to start to go to other sites and check on your stats. Like the people, hey, let me check on my stats. Let me check on my leads. Let me check, check my email. And then it's 45 minutes later, you're back to some random video on YouTube. Really, 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 really crazy. All right, very cool. Let me recap for you five things we talked about so far. Chris Weicker on minimum standards, number one. Jesse Rodriguez on saved MLS searches, number two. Mark Metry on daily video on LinkedIn, number three. Dustin Oldfather, uh, you know, fire them in your head first. Number four, Craig Valentine, how to get 10 more hours a week. What do you hate doing? What should you stop doing? What is not your job? What are your distractions? If you can figure those out, you don't have to do answer all those questions, but even just one, if you can just add the timer or uh, delegate what you don't like, I will tell you even net net, if it costs you the same or redu reduces your stress, it's still worthwhile. A lot of us don't even want to invest in, in, in a VA or because we believe that we now have to spend the time to train that person to go do the job. Spending the time to training the person to go to the job is a very, very good use of your time. Very, very good use of your time. All right, let's fire through. I got five more very quickly. Todd Conklin, for those of you who don't know Todd, uh, the CEO of Coal Banker Distinctive in the Mountains, uh, Colorado, Idaho. Uh, and, and he's just an amazing guy and a great leader, built his organization to hundreds of agents from zero, from scratch. And he's one of the most productive Coal Banker, uh, you know, um, office systems in the coal banker network. So really, really a great leader, Todd Conklin. And he talked about this. He talked about um, something that really made me cry. I was in the interview, I was going through the interview and, and both Todd and I kind of cried, uh, struggled emotionally with this. And he talked about how to find great role models. Todd talked about how as he grew up, he had a great mom, but she was not a great role model for him. He didn't have a great father figure as a role model. And because of that, he didn't really know how to be a good father, how to be a good husband. And that was amazing for a great leader to share that story. If there, a lot of times we try to figure out, well, how can I become a better CEO? right? How can I become a better CEO? How can I become a better team leader? How can I become a better agent? How can I become a better father? How can I become a better friend? And we think we should do more things and we should, you know, put things into our lives based on what we read in the Inc. articles and the Forbes magazine and entrepreneur, etc. Well, that's fine. But the fastest way is, the fastest way is finding a role model. Um, I will tell you one of my mentors, his name is Walter Schneider. Walter Schneider is the, uh, is the founder of Remax Integra. Walter, uh, Walter has 41,000 agents around the world. 41,000 agents around the world. And Walter, uh, Wal Walter is like a father to me. Uh, he took me under his wing and, and has been a great friend and mentor to me. And 
when I think, and the one thing I love about Walter is he's just a phenomenal father, you know, and I'll tell you why. His children are my age and I get to talk to them all the time and the reverence and the respect and the love and the camaraderie they have for their dad, their Walter's son will tell me things like, I am so grateful to have a father like Walter Schneider. Can you imagine this? Walter's son will tell me, I'm so grateful to have a father like Walter Schneider. Uh, if, I have achieved, if I could achieve anything in this world at some point in time in my life, I would love for my son to tell me, hey, I, I'm, I'm, you know, my dad's a cool dad. For that, I can't just make it up. I've got to watch what someone like Walter has done over a 30-year period to raise amazing kids. My number one role model for being um, a great father is Walter Schneider and my dad, but I, it's too, he's too close. But Walter is a great role model because every time I'm with him, every time I see what he does with his family, every time I see how he passes the bread to his son, every time I see him hug his daughter, every time I see him fondly write an email and copy, copies me to his children, every time I see him you know, interact with his kids, I, I learn what it is to be a great father. Because the proof is in the pudding. It's not about just you figuring it out on your own. Find great role models. If there's one part of your life you want to upgrade right now, find just find a great role model. That person doesn't have to be near you. That person can be a YouTube celebrity. That person can be someone that you read about. That person can just be pictures. That person can be from an autobiography. It doesn't matter. But the, the, finding the role model is the fastest way in which you can upgrade your game. So if you want to be a really great um, you know, sales agent, find a great role model. Do exactly what they do. Dress how they dress. Carry themselves how they carry themselves. Watch what they, how they talk about. Watch how they leave voicemails. Like my, I, I, even, I even watch the voicemails that people leave me and how it makes me feel, right? Because it's a role model. You're like, oh my gosh, that voicemail was amazing. Did they say, hey, Sharon, it's Walter? Or did he just start singing and said, Hello, my friend. Or did he start like leaving his phone number? Like, how do you actually leave small things like that that can dramatically transform your life? To upgrade your life in some way, find a great role model. That's number six. All right, number seven. Um, I did an amazing interview with Noel Nielsen, a great broker owner uh, out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. She is a is a you is a video celebrity. Done an amazing job just building her business entirely through video, and she's done it in a very warm and elegant way, and created a great brand for herself. And the multiple things we talked about, Noel said something which just blew my mind, and she said, "Sharon." you and I are sitting here on a Zoom call and she goes, and I look better than you. She actually said to me, she's like, and I look better than you. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I knew that we were doing the Zoom call today, so I was ready for you. I also have this light fixture that I put in here so that anybody that is watching the Zoom sees you and me on the call and my face gets lit up more and they're drawn to my expressions more, my emotions more, my words more, and my expressions more. The, the easiest thing that you can do is get ready for the call and light up your face. She goes, Sean, I look better than you. I look better than you. I love that because we can do such small things to completely change how everything gets set up. Like when you're doing a video on your phone, 
when you're doing a video on your phone, can you just make sure you have good audio? Can you just make sure you're not in a room which highly echoes? Just like I'm wearing a headset right now, if I didn't have this, it would echo significantly. I will never forget the words that she said, Sharon, I look better than you. And it really made me realize that uh, we can do a couple of things from an audio, video, lighting setup perspective without changing anything and completely transform what we bring to the table. So number seven was a really great tip by Noel Nielsen. All right, here we go. Number eight. Uh, number eight, if you remember my call with Ryan McGinn, a, he's the coach, the content coach to celebrities. Ryan is an amazing, amazing uh, content creator. He's the secret weapon behind most of the big content brands in the world. He actually teaches people what kind of content to create and build around. And he talked about something very cool. He talked about the idea of social proof. And he said something that really uh, connected with me. And he said, people love seeing pictures of you on social media from a position of authority, from a position of authority. So he, and, and he talked about it. He's like, hey, if you're ever giving a uh, speech or a speaking engagement or a presentation, make sure that people from the audience take pictures of you speaking to the audience. He also said something even, even, even simpler. He said, if you're at a lunch table and you are sharing an idea, well, just get up. And share the idea and have someone take a picture of you discussing somebody, discussing some topic with everybody at the table, discussing a topic with someone in the conference room. The more you can create a sense of authority, the more you can create a sense of social proof that you are the one creating and presenting something. It doesn't have to be a fancy picture. It doesn't have to be um, a, 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 you know, a, a really curated setting. It just can be as natural as possible. You can be in a t-shirt. You can be at lunch. You can be in your conference room. You can be in the office. You can be people sitting down on the couch. It doesn't matter. You can concoct. You can manufacture an environment where you are creating and teaching and bringing value and being in a position of authority. And if you can just take pictures of that, it makes for amazing content, amazing, amazing content, because you start to get people to believe that you are in that position, which you are, which you are. So instead of like waiting to take pictures, create the environments where you can take pictures of you actually teaching and you promoting and you coaching and you explaining so that it shows you from a from perspective of being an authority. All right. Um, last two, that was number eight. Last two, uh, Jeff Fitzer. Our right, number nine is Jeff Fitzer. And we talked about finding great partners. And um, the entire idea on this was how do you find, instead of looking to your uh, affiliates and uh, other service providers as affiliates and service providers, could you actually find great partners? There are great lender partners. There are great title partners. There are great escrow partners. There are great home warranty partners. There are people that are really good. Can you actually find great partners that go beyond economics? And we talked about the idea of, hey, do you put them into your team's Facebook group? Your team should have a Facebook group and you should, even if it's just you, um, put them into your team's Facebook group. Put them into your, have them attend your sales meetings or your team meetings. Have them bring ideas on what is actually working elsewhere. Force them to bring you value. What else is working elsewhere that you can use in your business? And my favorite thing is have them actually build them into the flow of your business. And what I mean by this is we talked about the idea where uh, let's say, 
uh, let's say you did an open house and you got a, a bunch of people that registered for your open house and you, you and your team called those people and, and connected with them. That's cool. Would it be great where you can give that open house registry to other P, uh, to, a, to a lender partner, for example, and now the lender partner scrubbed that list once more and, and called on your behalf. And the, the call would go something like this. Um, uh, hey, hey, Sharon, my name is, you know, Jimmy Johnson. I'm actually uh, calling on behalf of Nakul. I know you were in his open house recently, and he just wanted me to follow up with you to see if to give you an overview of uh, what financing looks like, regardless of when you may want to buy a home. Like imagine a great follow up where now you're uh, agency, uh, sorry, your, your lender partner can actually go do something for you like that and you get the second touch from that. How powerful is that, right? So it's not just about finding someone that can write you a check, but can you also get somebody to get in the flow of business with you? That's number nine with Jeff Fitzer, finding great partners. All right, um, number 10. We did an amazing call with Dean Aguilar. Amazing, amazing call with Dean Aguilar on um, how to build and build and blow up your brand on social media. And we talked about a few things, and it was all one of the things that really caught my eye in, when I was re-listening to that call was about Instagram. And here are a few things. Number one, Instagram is like Facebook three years ago, right? But the one thing we talked about, there's something for everybody. Some people like stories. Some people like lives. Some people like posts. Some people like IGTV. Some people like captions. There's actually something for everyone on Instagram that actually does not, um, you know, forcefully coincide with each other. Like on Facebook, it's getting bulky. There's comments, etc. But Instagram's really clean. There's actually something for everyone, which is why I have found that, you know, even in my following, the people that watch my stories are very different than the people that read my read my posts are very different from the people that comment on my pictures are very different people that watch my IGTVs are very different people that come from my lives. And the best part is this on Facebook content can actually be promoted and you can boost and things like that. But in Instagram, it's so amazing is recency and consistency wins. If you want to become and you want to start getting in people's feeds, just as I get in people's feeds, you just have to be consistent and consistency doesn't need a lot of time. Like I will tell you what I do. I, all I do is this. I, I make one post per day, one, and I do a one minute video per day in my stories. That's it. That's all I do. But that keeps the Instagram algorithm going. And, and the algorithm knows that I am completely consistent because the consistency wins. The consistency wins. And if I were you, what I would suggest is just carve out 15 minutes a day and think about how you would create content for 15 minutes a day. It just becomes a part of your day. We are moving. If, if, if you, you all will agree to this. We are moving into a content domination world and everybody wants, they think, oh, I wish I had a, a video content. I wish I had a videographer. I wish I had cool effects. I wish I had, uh, you know, transcription software. I wish I had a graphic designer. I wish I could use Canva. You don't have to do any of that. I'm talking about one post a day on Instagram and one video for one minute. I don't even, I don't even post on any of the other. I don't post on Facebook. I don't post on Twitter. I don't do any of that. I only do, I only do two things right now. One post a day on Instagram and one video a day. I do nothing else. And whatever I get, I try to reuse everywhere else. Could you actually use a simple 15 minute consistency to be in the consistent content game? Because algorithms love 
recency. Algorithms love consistency. And that's where we talked about how you can actually blow up your brand on Instagram, do better than all your competitors just by very, very small doses of consistency. All right. So uh, let me recap really quick for you. I'll go right from the top on the 10 insights from 10 experts. I really hope you enjoyed uh, me pulling these out for you. Number one, Chris Spiker. We talked about minimum standards. Number two, Jesse Rodriguez, how to actually use saved MLS searches to find uh, potential investment properties. Number three, Mark Metry, host of Humans 2.0 podcast. We talked about daily video on LinkedIn. Use the same thing from any other platform, but post it on LinkedIn. Number four, Dustin Oldfather from the uh, beaches of Delaware. We talked about a higher, slow, fire fast is just a myth, but if you need to fire somebody, fire them in your head first. Fire them in your head first. Number five, uh, Craig Ballantyne, how to actually unlock 10 more hours per week just by answering a few questions. What do you hate doing? What should you stop doing? What is not your job and what are your distractions? Number six, Todd Conklin, CEO of Cold Banker Distinctive on modeling your life with a great role model in the area that you want to upgrade your life. Number seven, Noel Nielsen, how Noel can look better than you every time. Just light up your face, have better sound, have the right headset, make, make sure you're ready for the calls or the videos. Small things in setup can completely change how you get perceived. Just get a little light to light up your face and amazing things start to happen. Number eight, social proof with Ryan McGinn. Just manufacture situations where you can actually be seen as an authority, providing value, speaking to groups of people, maybe two people, four people, 10 people, or 30 people. Make sure wherever you're speaking, whenever you're speaking, it is a time to take pictures so that you can show your authority. Even in a sales meeting, make sure you are there. Make sure someone takes a picture of you. Tell your friend, tell your manager, take a picture of you. Speak up in every sales meeting so you can actually have pictures of you uh, creating, creating celebrity for yourself. Number nine, Jeff Fitzer on finding great partners. Put your partner to work with you in your business. Like we talked about the open house idea of your lender calling your open house registry on your behalf. And number 10, Dean Aguilar, uh, how to really, really, really build and blow up your brand in today's social media world. Consistency wins. Consistency wins, right? And uh, you don't have to make it extremely painful on consistency. Just make it simple. And even if that means one post a day or one video a day, by the way, on the best part on stories on Instagram, for example, you don't even need video. You can do text-based stories and that actually still wins. I actually found my text-based stories actually get better traction than my real stories. The only reason I do stories is actually easier for me to do video than it is for me to write the text-based stories. But even if you don't want to do text-based uh, uh, video stories, you can do text-based stories and just 45 to 50 seconds will get you all the Instagram juice that you need. Those are 10 insights from 10 experts that I pulled together so that you don't have to. Do you want more real estate secrets? Then go get all our best kept secrets that agents around the world are using to win more listings, grow their teams, and make a fortune every single day. Go to kingstonlane.com forward slash secrets. That's kingstonlane.com forward slash secrets. Secrets.